Let's pray and we'll ask God to help us. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will help us as people saved by Jesus to understand how to deal with your Old Testament law. Give us wisdom in this tonight, we pray that we may trust Jesus and live lives pleasing to him. We ask it in in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it can be a little bit hard to know what to do with Old Testament laws. So, for example, you read a law like, do not murder, and you go, yep, makes sense, obviously applies to me, applies to everybody, nobody should murder. But then you read something like, go and sacrifice an animal in Jerusalem, or kill everyone in the promised land, or do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. And suddenly you think, well, hey, hang on, I don't do that. And I don't know anybody who does, does that, and I don't think anybody should do that either. That doesn't seem to apply to anyone. So the question is, how do you read Old Testament laws? Which ones apply? Which ones don't apply? How can you tell? Do you just pick and choose which ones you want to apply? What do you do as a Christian with Old Testament laws? Now, our passage tonight contains lots of laws, nearly five chapters of laws. And so tonight, and also next week, I, I want to do something a bit different, something I've never done before. I'm not really going to give you a sermon, you know, with a beginning and a middle and an end and three illustrations or something like that. No, no. Instead, what we're going to do, we're going to do a bit of a Bible reading exercise. A Bible reading exercise. I'm going to show you a simple New Testament principle. A New Testament principle about how to read the Old Testament. And then we're going to try to apply the principle to a number of the laws in our chapters this evening. Uh, Then next week I'm going to show you another principle from church history, from the Westminster Confession, and we'll think about how this principle and that principle apply as well. So do you see what we're doing? I'm going to give you a a principle about how to read the Old Testament law, and then we're going to have a go at doing it together uh, in in this passage from from Deuteronomy. So let me start off with the principle. Let Let me illustrate the principle by telling you about my friend Peter. Back in the 1990s, Peter was my lecturer at Bible College. As my lecturer, his job was to teach me what I needed to know to get a Bachelor of Divinity. He was my lecturer towards a BD, a Bachelor of Divinity. And uh, while Peter was my lecturer, I had to do what he said. If he said, write an essay of 3,000 words, I had to write an essay of between 2,700 and 3,300 words, not including footnotes. There was no scope. I had to do what he said. If Peter said, do an exam, I had to do it. Uh, Peter had the power to fail me, He had the power to pass me. As I worked towards my degree, I was under Peter's authority. Since then, Peter has become a friend of ours. He often comes three or four times a year. He comes to our place and we have dinner together. But now our relationship has changed. Back in 1998, I got my BD. And so I'm not under Peter's authority anymore. He can't rock up to my house and go, Jeff, I want you to write an essay anymore. I'll just say... No, Um, he he can't set exams for me anymore. He can't fail me. He can't pass me. I'm not under Peter's authority anymore. And yet, every time he comes over for dinner, I learn stuff from Peter. He is such a wise and clever bloke, and I ask his advice on all kinds of things all sorts of pastoral matters and and theological matters. I I listen to what he says about how he's going and what books he's writing and and, and what things he's doing. And and 
I've got to say, without fail, there would never have been a dinner where he's come over where I haven't learnt something new, some insight, some angle on something. Do you get the relationship? Peter had authority over me towards my BD. He no longer has any authority over me, and yet there is still plenty that I can learn from him. And did you know, in the New Testament, it says that the relationship between the Old Testament law and the Christian is a bit like the relationship between Peter and me. He's the Old Testament law, I'm the Christian. Let me show you. On your outline there, I've put a literal translation, my, my own literal translation of Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 to 25. Can you see it there on the left-hand side under this Pythagogos principle? Now have a look with me. Galatians 3. The law became a Pythagogos for us towards Christ in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that the faith has come, we are no longer under the Pythagogos. Now, you'll notice the word that I've left untranslated there, the word paedagogos. It's a Greek word, um, and we get, we get some English words from it. Have you heard the word pedagogy, uh, the, the um, study of teaching? Or have you heard the word pedagogue, another word for a teacher? Uh, a paedagogos, a paedagogos was a kind of a slave, uh, but a very special kind of a slave. A paedagogos was a very highly educated slave. And uh, what would happen is parents would buy a Pythagogos as a teacher for their children. Now, this was in the days before public schooling and so on. And, and so a Pythagogos was like an ancient version of a private tutor. But here's the thing. While the children are children, the Pythagogos has authority over them. They have to do what he says. If the Pythagogos says, write an essay, they have to write an essay. If he sets an exam, they have to do the exam. He has the power to discipline them. While they are children, the children have to do what the Pythagogos says. But there comes a time when the children grow up, when their education is finished. And at that point, the tables are turned completely. At that point, the Pythagogos doesn't have any authority over them anymore. In fact, the Pythagogos is just another of their slaves in their house. Here in Galatians, God tells us that the Old Testament law was like a Pythagogos. A Pythagogos towards Christ. In other words, in the Old Testament, Israel was under the authority of the law, like a child under a Pythagogos. They were under the authority of the law. And it was meant to point them towards Christ, towards Jesus Christ, and towards justification, salvation through faith in him. Just like I was under Peter's authority heading towards my degree, Israel are under the authority of the law as they head towards Christ. But now, our verse says, if you have faith in Jesus Christ... It's like you've grown up. It's like you've got your degree. And so you're not under the Pythagogos anymore. Back to the verse on your outline. Now that the faith has come, the Christian faith has come, we Christians are no longer under the Pythagogos. Do you see how it works? We Christians are under a new covenant, a new testament. It's not the Old Testament anymore. We're not under the authority of the Old Testament law anymore. That Pythagogos is just another slave in our house. And so, if you ask yourself the question, 
which of the Old Testament laws apply to us today, the first answer to give is none of them. None of them apply to us directly anymore because we're under a different covenant. That, that Pythagogos has no authority over Christians. But of course, in the ancient world, adults could still learn from their Pythagogos. These were highly educated people, not like I can still learn from Peter, even though he's not my lecturer anymore. Uh, the Pythagogos had true things to teach. The Pythagogos was a highly educated person and, and a sensible adult will keep coming back to their Pythagogos for help and for wisdom and, and advice. It's the same for us as Christians. We Christians can still learn from the Pythagogos. There is plenty to learn from the Old Testament law. Not only does it point us to Jesus, it can also help us to know, as we look at what God wanted from his people in the Old Testament, we can reflect on what God wants for us in the New Testament. Do you get the principle? The Old Testament... The Old Testament law is a pedagogos. We're not under its authority anymore, but there is still plenty that we can learn from it. Okay. So the way to apply this principle when you're dealing with an Old Testament law is this. When you're dealing with an Old Testament law, you need to ask yourself two questions. Two questions. First question is this. How does this pedagogos point me to Jesus? It's going to be the first question you ask about any Old Testament law. How does Jesus fulfill this law? How does this law inform me about who Jesus is? How does it inform me about what Jesus has done? How does it help me to put my faith in Jesus? How does it fill in the background so that I know the, the bigger, better picture of who Jesus is and what he's done? That's question one. How does it point me to Jesus? And, and then the second question to ask is this. Now that I am trusting in Jesus... What can I still learn from this Pythagogos? Uh, what does this law still have to teach me about living as a new covenant believer in a way that is pleasing to God? And as we answer both of these questions, the place we go is to the New Testament. The New Testament will give us lots of clues about how the Old Testament points to Jesus. And the New Testament will give us lots of clues about what we can still learn from Old Testament laws today. Do you get the questions that flow then from the Pythagogos principle? How does the law point me to Jesus and how can it help me to live as a Christian? All right, so what we're going to do now is, um, is we're going to work our way through quickly today's passage. We'll start slow and we'll just go wild as we head our way through. And, and, and with each law, we're going to ask ourselves the two questions. So you ready? Let's, let's dive in. The first law, the first law, chapter 16 and verse 18 is about appointing judges. And the key point is that the judges need to be fair and just and not swayed by bribes or anything like that. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 18. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. All right, let's ask ourselves the question. God is calling for a judge who will be fair. How does this law point us to Jesus? 
Well, that is Jesus, isn't it? In Jesus, we have the perfect judge, the fair judge. The New Testament tells us that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed and he's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus is the perfect, fair judge. Second question, how can this law help us to live as Christians? Answer, uh, we're not Israel. We shouldn't necessarily have church courts and judges or anything like that. But if you are in a position where you need to judge, maybe you find yourself as a judge or or as a mediator in a dispute or something like that, well, you should learn from from this. You should be fair. You should be impartial. You should follow justice and justice alone. Uh, The New Testament says much the same thing. For example, James 2 on your outline there, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. So can you see we're not under the authority of this Pythagogos, but it can teach us about Jesus, point us to him, And it can teach us how to judge in a way that is pleasing to God. Let's tackle the next law. This one's about worshipping idols. Verse 21. Do not set up any wooden Asherah pole beside the altar you build to the Lord your God. And do not erect a sacred stone for these the Lord your God hates. Okay, God hates idolatry. How does this one point point us to Jesus? Well, firstly, Jesus kept this, didn't he? Jesus never worshipped idols. He always loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. And yet, Jesus bore the hatred of God that we deserve for our idolatry. God hates idolatry. And Jesus bore that hatred for us because of our idolatry. So we can be in relationship with the true God. Points us to Jesus. What else can we learn from the law? Well, the New Testament is clear that uh, we still shouldn't worship idols. For example, 1 John on your outline, dear children, Christians, keep yourselves from idols. What about the next law? You shouldn't sacrifice defective animals. Chapter 17, verse 1. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. Starting to get the idea? How does this one point to Jesus? You already know, don't you? It's him again, isn't it? He is the sacrifice without defect or flaw. The perfect sacrifice for us. Ephesians 5, 2, on your outline there, Christ Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ is our perfect sacrifice. And so what does this then now mean for us as Christians? This means that we should never, ever try to offer our defective sacrifices. No, 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 we should just rely on Jesus and on the perfect sacrifice that he has made. The way we apply this law as Christians is by relying on Jesus' sacrifice alone. Still with me? What about the next law? The next law, after careful investigation, people guilty of committing idolatry must be stoned to death. Verse 2. If a man or a woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord your God gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God in violation of his covenant and contrary to my command has worshipped other gods bowing down to them or to the sun or the moon or the stars of the sky and this has been brought to your attention then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it's true and it's been proved that this detestable thing has been done in Israel take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man should be put to death, but no one should be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting him to death, and then the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil 
from among you. Okay, idolaters deserve to die. Evil people deserve to die. How does this one point us to Jesus? Well, Jesus is the man who never did evil, the man who never worshipped other gods, the man who didn't deserve to die, and yet he is the man who died on the cross under the judgment of God in our place, bearing the judgment we deserve for all our evil and idolatry. Points us to Jesus. What else can we learn from the law as Christians? Well, there's, there's stacks of stuff here. I mean, the whole idea of stoning a person to death. God, uh, it says in the New Testament, has given the, the government the power of the sword. Uh, governments can, under Scripture, exercise the death penalty. I'm pleased that our government doesn't, but under Scripture they can. Uh, what else is in there? You should investigate cases thoroughly. That's important, isn't it? The whole idea of more than one witness, that's important, I think. All good justice principles. Um, of course, it's not up to us to inflict the death penalty on idolaters, but, but we still need to warn idolaters. God may have overlooked idolatry in some senses in the past, but he's set that day when he's going to judge the world. We've got to call idolaters to turn away from idolatry and put their trust in Jesus because God's judgment is going to come on them. It won't be our stones, but God's judgment is coming. Points us to Jesus and plenty to learn. Uh, next section... God establishes that the priests and the judge in Jerusalem have the right to judge. I'm not going to read this one, but again, it's Jesus. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the priest. God's established him so by raising him from the dead. You're starting to see how this works? Okay. Well, let me give you an exercise to do then. I haven't tried this before, but I think it worked okay this morning. Uh, we, we already read this law. We read this, um, Sean read this one for us, the law about the king. So I'm going to give you a chance to think about it. Uh, take a minute, T turn to the person next to you, maybe. Feel free to talk, feel free to talk loudly, don't be embarrassed. Turn to the person next to you, I'll give you a minute or so, see what you come up with. Ask yourself the two questions. How does this law, so we're in chapter 17, verses 14 to 20, chapter 17, verses 14 to 20, the law about the king. How does this law point us to Jesus, and what can it teach us about how we should be pleasing to God? Take a minute, let's go. How'd you go? What'd you come up with? Did you come up with something about, um, did you say something like, well, Jesus is the king who always obeyed God's law? Say something along those kinds of lines. Did you say, you know how it said, if the king obeys God's law, then there'll be um, a long reign in the promised land. Did you say something about Jesus is the king who, because he obeyed God's law, now has eternal reign in God's kingdom? Something along those lines? Uh, did you say something about, um, 
as we're thinking about how it still applies to us today, did you say something about how kings today should still submit themselves to God and, and rule with integrity and justice? That sort of stuff you came up with? Yeah? You all go to the top of the class. Very good. Let's press on. Uh, the next law. Next law is about priests and Levites. Basically, the Israelites have to give their offerings to the priests and Levites and support them. I'll just read the first couple of verses. Chapter 18, verse 1. 18, verse 1. The priests who are Levites, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the offerings made to the Lord by fire, for that's their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. What does this one teach us about Jesus? Jesus is our true priest, the one who offered the true sacrifice for us, the one who lives forever to intercede for us. And now we should offer to him everything, all of us. Your whole life is a living sacrifice, says Romans 12.1, doesn't it? Points us to Jesus. How can it help us to live as Christians? Well, a bit self-interestedly, let me read you this uh, verse from 1 Corinthians. In the New Testament, it picks up on this idea and it, it says it teaches us about generosity to those who spend their lives in service to Jesus. From 1 Corinthians, Don't you know that those who work in the temple, the Levites who we've just been reading about, get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Our next section, next section is about how you shouldn't follow mediums and spiritists and other people. Um, and it, instead it says that you should listen to the prophet. So we've already read this one, chapter 18, verses 14 to 22. Uh, let me give you another turn. Let me give you another turn. Chapter 18, verses 14 to 22. I'll give you another minute or so. Ask the questions. How does this one point us to Jesus? What can it teach us about living as Christians? Chapter 18, verses 14 to 22. Okay, go. How'd you go? What'd you come up with this time? What about the first question? Did you say something about, um, did you say something like, well, Jesus is the prophet who was to come? Deuteronomy 18, 15. That's picked up in a lot of places. John 6 and very other places in the New Testament. Or remember, um, remember when Jesus is transfigured and God says, but he says, this is my son whom I, whom I love. What do you have to do? Listen to him. It's Deuteronomy 18, 15. He's the true prophet who was to come. Listen to him. 
Or did you say something about uh, Hebrews chapter 1, you know, where it says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in many and various ways, but now in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. He is the true word of God, the true prophet of God. We should listen to Jesus. Uh, in terms of the second question, how does it still apply? Did you say something along the lines of we've got to be very careful about prophecy, about people who, who, who claim to speak in the name of the Lord? We've got to be very careful. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to test people. We've got to compare what people say with what we know to be God's word in the Bible. Um, test everything, approve what is good, it says. Is that uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Okay, points us to Jesus. Still plenty to teach us. You starting to get the idea? Yeah, hopefully, otherwise this is going to be a complete failure. <laughs> All right, there are stacks more laws here. We're pretty much out of time. Let me just flash through the last few laws. Now, chapter 19, you've got cities of refuge. So someone who accidentally kills someone, they don't have to face uh, the, the death penalty. They can escape to a city of refuge. Um, it's interesting, that kind of idea picked up even in Rock of Ages a little bit, isn't it? The idea of Jesus being our refuge who saves us from the death penalty. And, of course, there's plenty of stuff to learn there about the difference between murder and manslaughter. Plenty of good stuff in that law. There's uh, laws about witnesses as well. We've already thought a bit, bit, bit about them. And then the last laws in Chapter 20. Uh, chapter 20 are all laws about war, war laws. And the idea is, you know, those people who are close by, the, you know, the Hivites and the Jebusites and the um, um, Vegemites and the, you know, all, all those different <laughs> ones, they have to all be killed because if they don't kill them then they'll, they'll lead them astray and they'll f lose their place in the land. But then it says you can be a bit more kind of kind to the people who are far away. It talks about not chopping down trees as well. Um, I heard very interesting stuff about uh, this. Just the other day I was hearing some lectures by a guy called Michael Horton from America. And he was saying, he was talking about the, the war laws, how Israel had to kill all the people in the promised land so they wouldn't lead them astray and make them fall out of the land. He said, these people are... Um, the snake in the garden. Uh, just like Adam and Eve were in the garden and the snake led them astray so that they lost their place, as Israel go into the garden of the promised land, these people who were there are the snake who could lead them astray and push them out. Of course, there's you know, the old joke that you can tell that uh, Adam and Eve weren't Chinese because if they were Chinese, they'd have killed the snake and eaten it and there would have been no problem at all. Um, <coughs> well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. That's what Adam should have done. He should have, you know, given the snake the chop and, uh, and, they, and we'd still be in Eden. All right? Well, that's what, that's what Israel needed to do. Get rid of the snake so they couldn't lose their place. And, of course, that's what Jesus has done, isn't it? Jesus has crushed Satan on the head. Jesus is at the right hand of God and all his enemies are being made his footstool. And when we're in heaven, there aren't going to be... There's going to be no snake... There's going to be no sinners leading us astray. Our place in heaven will be secure because Jesus has won the holy war. Praise God. All right. So we've rushed more and more as we've gone along, but do you get something in the idea? Do you see how our principle applies? What do you do with Old Testament laws? You understand that the law is a pedagogos. We're not under it anymore, but we can still learn from it. It points us to Jesus, enriches our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then having gone to Jesus, having put our trust in him, no longer under the pedagogos, we learn what we can from this faithful, wise teacher. Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious, holy and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom all of your laws are fulfilled. We thank you that he is our great king, our great prophet, our great priest, 
our great sacrifice, our great temple. We thank you that he is the one who has obeyed all of your laws. We thank you that he is the one who has borne the judgment of your law that we deserve for our failure to love and obey you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We pray that you'd help us never, ever to turn away from him, but to love and trust him all of our days. We pray, Heavenly Father, that um, you would help us to learn from the Old Testament, that we would continue to read it, to study it, that it may enrich our knowledge of Jesus and that we may know better how to live as your people in the new covenant into which you have graciously brought us. So we thank and praise you, Heavenly Father. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to apply your law rightly. And we ask you these prayers in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.